Welcome everyone to another edition of A Conversation With. Here on Keyboard Kimura, I am E. Spencer Kite, joined today by Eamon Zahabi, a good friend, a longtime friend, someone that as soon as I got this show back, brought this show back, he was on the list of people that I had to get on the show. We've got a fight coming up out here in Vancouver in a couple of weeks. It felt like the right time to bring you on, reached out, you said yes, here we are. Thank you for doing this, my friend. How are you? Great, my pleasure, man. Excited to be here. So we start the show the same way every yep. time. And, and it's interesting to me because for all the years that we've known each other, I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Tell me. But when did you fall in love with combat sports? Oh, uh, I was a teenager, actually. Um, actually, at first, I didn't love it. I actually, I was forced to go into this. <laughs> okay, so we'll, was, get in, we'll get into this. I was, I was forced, just forced to go in. Well, my dad wanted me to go because I was going to high school. And uh, he was worried about bullies and stuff like that. So when Frost was going to the gym, Frost, and my dad's like, Frost, take your brother with you so he can learn how to protect himself in case and build confidence, just blah, 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 for high school. So I started going, and at first, man, it sucked going. <laughs> and because when I started when I was you know, younger, 13, 14, <clears throat> it was, uh, there was no young kids at TriStar. It was all older guys in their mid-20s you know, to 30s. So nobody wanted to train with me. The only guy I was looking forward to training with me was for us. That's it. You know, I was tiny. I was like 120 pounds wet. You know, I was tiny, tiny little guys, five foot tall. I had nothing going for me physically, physically wise. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, I felt like out of place a little bit. But then as I got good, because Frost was training with me all the time, then I started to really like it because right. the older guys needed my help with the technique, right? Because Frost would drill all the time with me. So then I caught up real quick and I started, you know, getting much better than most people. So then I got kind of like an assistant coach role. Then I started really liking it. Okay. So it's once it gets, once it gets going well, we get, yeah, it, yeah, right? yeah. we get excited. That's understandable. I'm, I'm the yeah. same way with a lot of stuff. Yeah. When did, or how did Brazilian jujitsu become the family business? Cause obviously people know your brother for us, hobby yeah. and TriStar gym. You have another brother. Yeah. Ahmad, Alex, who yeah. runs Brazilian uh, Burlington BJJ. That's right. It is a family business. It is a family gig. Yeah. It's a hobby Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. How yeah. did this come about? How did we get from where we were, what mom and dad did, yeah. the family business, whatever that was, yeah. to now the family business is Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu and coaching athletes? Yeah. Well, you know, my brothers started training when they were much younger than I did. Like, they started at, like, five. My dad was putting them in karate. And same reason, he knew that they were going to go to school and he wasn't sure how it was going to go. He didn't want them to get bullied, whatever, at a different time. So they started with karate. And then <clears throat> as they grew older, uh, my parents moved from Montreal to Laval. And then, you know, they left that karate school. They went to another school. The new karate school wasn't, I don't know, as good to my dad's liking. Like he didn't like it as much. It wasn't as competitive or as, as, as tough or I don't know what happened. But some reason he didn't like it as much anymore. I don't know. I, was, I wasn't even born. And then uh, he put them into Muay Thai and they met Master Peter. The late, great Master the Peter. La the late, great Master yeah, Peter. God yeah, rest yeah. His soul. And uh, my brothers were training with Master Peter in 1989. Wow. Which is, I still have a picture of when they first started training there. It's incredible. Incredible how long this guy's been a part of the family. <laughs> So they started with him, <clears throat> and then uh, eventually, uh, for us, started doing some uh, BJJ after the first UFCs. So when the first UFC came out, nobody thought Horace Gracie was gonna win it, man. Right. And neither did for us. Okay, right. we were young, man. You know, we didn't think 
that this guy, he, he looks small compared to everyone else. He's not really that small of a guy. But uh, compared to everybody else, we didn't think he had a chance. And he won. And then when they were going to do the re- the second UFC, and we saw the poster of, Frank, of uh, Ken Shamrock and uh, Hoist Gracie, we were like, this time, Ken's going to get him. <laughs> you know, he's got this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then he wins again. And then that was it. We we're looking for jiu-jitsu. Like, Frost was like, okay, you know what? We got to find a jiu-jitsu coach. I don't care what it takes, blah, blah, blah. So we started going from different jiu-jitsu schools, trying to find the right guy. And then we ended up with um, Angelo Xerahakis, who was a BJJ purple belt under, under Henzo Gracie. But he was the highest-ranked belt that we could find in the city. Right, right. You know? So uh, that's how it started for us. And I then gotcha. uh, my brother Ahmed came in later. Uh, and he started training in a different location downtown. By the time he started training, there was an actual black belt in Montreal who was uh, Vagni Fabiano. Yep. So that's, you know, so then we started training with Vagni a little bit because then Angelo um, was a really smart businessman and uh, his business started taking off. So he was teaching a little bit less and less and then we were training a little bit more with Vagni and then eventually uh, Angelo passed the torch to Faraz for TriStar. Okay. So then Frost took over the TriStar team. So what's the what's the age range between the three of you? What's the what's the difference in ages? Uh, I think the gap like, between I think everybody. I was like 12 years older than me. Okay. Or 12 or 13 and then Frost is 8 years older than me. Okay. Yeah, so, so big you age had to gap. watch older brothers going and doing stuff and you were the dragged along to the gym. I was dragged along. Eventually after, got yeah. into it. Like for me like I didn't start training early early, you know, but still like yeah, well, you know we, we wrestled like we did so much WWF when I was young, <laughs> ladder matches, tag team <laughs> matches, because you know, we're four brothers, I had a lot of million cousins, you know, so we always wrestled and did funny stuff, you know, like we had. Wait, there's a fourth brother. There's a fourth brother. He doesn't really train. Doesn't do train. Okay. Like, he used he to train when he was younger, but when he got older, he didn't okay. do as much. Yeah. So he was a killer, what, like young, young. But what would the tag teams be? Uh, it was me, Frost, getting a beating. No, okay. <laughs> No, we'd mix it up. We'd mix it up, you know, the okay. different ages. Because the two older brothers are only a year apart. And Frost okay. is like um, four years younger than them. Right. So maybe okay. three three and a bit, four years younger than them. Okay. Yeah, so and we'd then, mix it up. And then the baby of the bunch. I'm the baby. And then uh, and then the, my cousins also, like, when they would come over, we'd wrestle and stuff. So we had, like, right. we had a lot of, like, boys will be boys type basement. For sure. Happened in the kite house as well. Yeah. And there was only two of us. Yeah. What's it like for you growing up, coming up, teenage years, early 20s at TriStar in that in that facility around greatness? Obviously, George is there, but lots yeah. of other fighters are coming through. Your brother's starting to have success as a coach, gain recognition as a coach. What's that like for you being around it? And what did it do for your desire to pursue mixed martial arts and coaching yourself as a career? Oh, man, it was a blast for me. It was really good. Like, once I finally got good, uh, you know, I started holding pads for some of the amateurs as for us as assistant coach, right? So he would try, he would focus more on the pro. He would still work with amateurs for sure, but there's always more amateurs than there are pros, right? So then I would start helping out the amateurs and work their way up to the amateur uh, leagues. And then the pros started wanting me because then for us, started having so many pros and for us had to leave the country so often. Right. So then I started traveling with some of the guys and I started cornering, you know, like the, the Canadian title fights and things like that. And then started cornering guys in the UFC. By the time I was 18, I was cornering some guys in the UFC already. 
you know, 2021, I was cornering uh, Miguel Torres, Yves Jaboin, David Loiseau, uh, so many big names. And I've made that walk to the UFC since I was young, which is really nice, you know, so it really helped me with my butterflies. But uh, I still got a lot of butterflies still. But, you know, it, just, it was a nice transition. And then when I was like 21, I, when I, you know, I was in university and I went to Frost's room. And I was like, man, listen, I think I'm going to take my chance. If I can get to UFC before 30, uh, I'll stick to it. If I don't get to UFC by 30, I'll just go back to university. I'll get a degree, get a, get a regular job. I'm like, let me use my 20s to like take a shot, you know, live the dream. If I can live the dream, why not? You know, if I can live it. So then uh, that's kind of what I did. He said, you know, it's a great idea. Let's do it. So then I, I pulled out of school and I decided to go pro. And how old were you when you got the UFC call? I was like 29. So <laughs> it was close. It was close. It took some time. It took some time. It took time, man. Because also UFC, not UFC, sorry, but MMA was like banned for a few years. Yep. After I, I went pro, I did slam one. Right. And then no more UFC. This is, no what, more, this is what I was going to get into. No you more and MMA. I have, you and I have known each other since before your your pro debut. Yeah, and back in the as you said, cornering Miguel Torres and Yves Jabouin yeah. and, and guys like that. It was difficult coming up in the sport in Quebec because it was there for a while and then it wasn't. Yeah. And shows would sort of come and turn up and be here for an event and then not. Yeah. And then also you throw in oh his last name's Zahabi he trains at TriStar. Yeah. What was it like? trying to accumulate that experience so that you're actually comfortable with where your skills are at, not just, Hey, I think I'm good enough to do this and I'm going to get by because of who I am and where I am, but to gain that actual yeah. in cage experience to, to test those things. It was tough because, you know, I have no titles, man. <laughs> I have no titles and I was trying to, you know, trying to build up, trying to get title fights in the amateurs and things like that. It was not happening for me, man. It was tough. And, um, you know, I did some jiu-jitsu tournaments. That was good. I did some wrestling tournaments. You know, I won the provincials in wrestling. I've won some jiu-jitsu tournaments and things like that, which was good. But when it came to fighting amateur MMA, it was very hard. You know, even like my first couple of fights, they were tough, man. Uh, they were tough to get. I mean, like very tough to put together in a sense, even when I was going to Muay Thai. Like my first Muay Thai fight, I was all in all, and I was fighting a guy five and one. You know, it wasn't easy to like put a couple of fights together. But you know, I get it. I did put a lot of time in since I was like 13, 14, 15, 16. Like I was training right. a lot. Like I was training one day, once a day, obviously, because I was going to high school. But then by the time I went to college, Vanier College, CJEPT here, yep. I was training twice a day almost every day. Because you know, you can make your own schedule. So I schedule early in the morning, go train in the afternoon, come back. Train again, sorry, train at like daytime, like noontime, and then afternoon in the evening, you know? Right. So I was trying to get put even more work in and more work in. And, then, you know, the word gets around, you know, when you're working hard, people know, and then I'm cornering a lot of big names and I'm holding pads for everybody and people see me traveling and stuff. So it built kind of like this boogeyman reputation, you know? But uh, I just needed the experience to capitalize on all the training, you know? So I feel like that's my missing link. As you're going through it and as you're trying to get those fights, are you hearing from promoters, coaches in the city, other people around that, look, here's the reason why it's not happening? Or is it just kind of like quiet, quiet, and nobody's speaking about it? You're just not getting opportunities. Yeah, I just don't think that yeah, nobody was really telling me anything. We we're just trying our best to find something. And like, I never believed in the hype myself. You know what I mean? I just want to go out there and do it. And like the way I, the way I understand it is that 
because I wasn't fighting a lot, I was a question mark. Right. You know, whereas if you're a really good fighter, but you have a hundred fights, people are not afraid to fight you. Why? Because they've seen you do it. They have tapes. Right. They can study you. They can try to figure, figure out all the out. things that they can do. But if you're this ghost, you know, if you're this ghost, people don't want to take that risk. That's that's what it was. It wasn't because I was actually so good and I'll right. KO you with one one touch, <laughs> right. a kiss of death type thing. It was the unknown. I feel like right. Yeah. Well, an unknown from a big gym, yeah, famous last name and a famous brother and training partners, and he's coached in the UFC and all of these things. Yeah. One of the things I know that TriStar has always sort of had for emerging fighters and Faraz has always sort of stressed and drilled into people is, as you mentioned, go and do jujitsu tournaments, compete yeah. in Muay Thai, compete in wrestling, yeah. compete in the amateurs. How did that process, how did that sort of program get implemented? Where did that come from? And what was it, how beneficial was it for you to go through that and, and gain all of those individual discipline skills to then bring it all together now once you're pro and pursuing the career itself. Well, the idea behind that be started because there wasn't a lot of shows, <laughs> right? That's, right. The, that's, that's the, the reason. Yeah. Right? So we have no choice. If you want experience, you got to go out there. You got to, you know, get burned by the fire type of thing. You know, you, you got to go out there and, and, and do it. There's no other, there's nothing else more valuable than going out there and doing it. You know, you can learn all the skills you want, but if you learn from a book, you can never apply it in real life. You know, you got to go out there. It's trial and error. You gotta fail it, you know. You gotta you gotta win. You gotta lose. So that's how we, we came up with the idea. And then obviously, you know, small time shows don't make a lot of money. So you know, shows come up, they go out of business, up and down, left and right. So you have to fill in with these tournaments. Tournaments are more likely to make money than MMA promotions, amateur or pro. Even the amateurs, they don't make that much money for a show, right? You make a, okay, but nothing crazy. And there's a lot of work and a lot of cancellations and a lot of drama. Fighters are right. demons, you know, coaches, you know, all this stuff. It's not easy to juggle all this. There's a lot of egos, a lot of tests, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of testosterone in our world, you know. So it's not easy to put together. So that's why we decided to do our best to put the guys in different things. Even now, we still keep that tradition. But, like, I'm sure you've heard. BJJ has been banned in Quebec for like six, seven years now. Right. I don't even know how long it's been. Finally, they're bringing it back. Jiu-Jitsu, I can't believe it. So hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have a Jiu-Jitsu tournament in Quebec. And then we're going to start our own Jiu-Jitsu promotions. For us, it's promoting it now. It's called Pure. Uh, sub only, no time limit, man. Nice. And then we're going to start our own show. We're going to try to get guys experience. That's what we got to do. We gotta, now we're going to start doing our own shows to get guys a give guys a chance. Well, then events themselves, like promotions themselves. I know obviously we're recording on, on Friday, May 26th. Your brother is off at, at the Samurai show this weekend. Yeah. But like Samurai has held a few events, but it's yeah. kind of hit and miss here and there. Yeah. TKO was around early, disappeared for a long time, came back. Yeah. Don't know where it is right now. Yeah. And it's just sort of, that's the state of things in Canada. And you, during your early professional days, we're even coming out here out west to get some stuff. Not all the way out west yeah, out yeah. here, but fighting in, in Alberta. It just the landscape in Canada is really difficult right now. Yeah. What was it like for you? And now as somebody that's in the gym, seeing others aspiring, how difficult has it been watching these guys trying to pursue this dream, trying to pursue this craft and just not having opportunities? Yeah, it hurts, man. It hurts for the guys. It hurts for us because, you know, the they're having the same problem I have because it's so hard to build up. We're getting to the big show later in age, you know? Right. So, 
So our experience is in the gym, not really in the fight, right? So it's hard. And a lot of guys, you know, obviously this sport doesn't pay super, super well. It's not like the NBA or the NHL, but right. eventually it's going to get there. It's you know eventually over time I'm, you know I believe it will because you know back in the day the guys you know like IFC and things like that in Montreal these guys used to get paid fifty bucks you know like you got you can buy a trio at McDonald's after right and now it's it's a lot better with the UFC and PFL and Bellator and all these leagues and stuff like that it's getting better and I feel like it'll get better in the future but we're still in the growth phase you know and that's the truth and that's not a knock on any league and stuff like that but that's the truth it's on it's in a growth phase and these guys you know after a while. You know, they want to make money by 27. You know, their friends have right. finished university. They're in their careers. They're making 60, 70K a year. And these guys can barely put two fights in a year, you know? Right. If you're in a league that's not UFC, belt, or PFL, whatever, you're making, you know, a grand, two grand. I don't even know, you know? Yeah, it's tough. It's really, really tough. I want to preface this yeah. by saying, listen, if there was no pressure... They just tell me there was no pressure, but the last name is the hobby. Yeah. As you're getting into it, as you're yeah. growing, you're getting a little bit of a profile because people see you in the corner. Yeah. What's it like growing up being Faraz Zahabi's younger brother and pursuing a similar path and following sort of this trail that he's blazed a little bit in terms of the family name to then try to do it yourself? Yeah, it's great. It's good and bad. I mean, there's good and bad in everything. Nothing in life is all good. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's it's nice because it opens a lot of doors because, you know, he's got a lot of connections. So we have a lot of good friends who, who are good at a lot of different martial arts. So I get a lot of great training. A lot of people come through the door at TriStar, which is beautiful. Uh, uh, yeah, the other side, it was like hard for me to, you know, stack fights together early, amateur-wise. That was tough. Um, you know, always pressure. Like if I didn't win by finish early on, it was like shocking, you know. And... Uh, when I went in the UFC, even like my first decision win against Regional Vieira the UFC, I still thought it was a great fight, man. It's a good fight. Like, it's a fun fight. Only six fights. He had like almost <laughs> 30. I don't know, 20-something fights. Yeah. And he just won the Ultimate Fighter. And I'm like, I thought I, I did a great I dropped him. To, I dropped him. Uh, I rocked him once. I dropped him. You know, I rocked him again in the third. I rocked him. I heard him in every round, you know? Like I cartwheeled out of a double leg. I did all this thing, but then like the reviews were just like bashing it, you know, because right. I didn't go out there and smoke him early easily. Right. So, you know, like uh, I had to deal with stuff like that. And then um, it was tough because like, even with the Ramos fight, like, okay, the first round I was, I feel like I was up ahead. And when he took my me down at the end of the round and like took my back for the last like 20 seconds, like, okay, maybe he went for round one. But then round two, I completely shut down all wrestling. And I was hitting him with the jab and the uppercut. And I was beating him on the feet. Like, easily round two was mine. And then round three came out. And I just started walking him down. And then I got hit with the elbow. You know? And oh, then everyone, oh we'll, get, we'll get to Ricardo Ramos. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. You know, they bashed me. And it was hard. And everyone counted me out. And all this stuff. And I had to come back. And I lost again after because I was a shell of myself. You know, I was going through all two years of literal we'll, mental health. We, we will get to that. We yeah. will get to that. I'm going to so bookmark that. Good and bad. You know, everything is good yeah. and bad. Was there expectation? What was Faraz's position on it? Like as an older brother, as a yeah. sibling, is he encouraging you to do it? You mentioned, obviously, you go to him, you know, when you're at Vanier and say, look, I think I'm going to put press pause on this yeah. and come and try this. Is he supportive? Is he yeah. drill instructor of like, okay, if you're going to do it, this is the way it's going to go and you're going to follow these rules. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be like this. What's the 
what's the reaction from him and what's the guidance from him as you're pursuing this? I mean, the high stress, <laughs> high stress for him, for sure. I mean, uh, he's also kind of like a father figure too, you know, so like he watches, he's been watching over me since I'm born, you know, and um, basically like it's very stressful for him and, uh, but he does invest in his time in me a lot, you know. You know, he makes sure that I get my pads in and I have all my stuff together. And if I need a training partner to be brought in, we'll bring him in. We, you know, we fly them out. We, we take care of them. You know, I pay some. He pays some. Or we try to find a sponsor to bring somebody in. You know, like he's always working on, you know, making it the, the best possible uh, experience for me in that sense. But he's also, I'm also, I also get the harshest for us. Right. You know what I mean? Sometimes they say yeah. like being family is good, but sometimes it's the worst. So it's like, man, it's a brutality sometimes, but it's for my benefit, right? Because he'd rather <laughs> give me the brutality in the room than in the in the, that I get hurt, you know. I think me, me getting knocked out, like obviously it crushed me, like it was it hurt a lot because like I thought I was doing so well in that fight, but I'm sure like he didn't like it either, and he didn't want doesn't want to see that again, right? So I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of it comes from a good place the stress that he puts on the training, you know, it comes right. from a really good place and. You know, he works very hard into making sure that I have the right game plan and that everything's set perfectly. Were there any points along the way where there's been a, a obviously there's been friction between Every the day, two of you at times, but have there been any like, we need to take a break from each other points? No, no, no. Or no. is it always like, fine, we're tense, we're friction, but yeah. we're always well, here. In our, in our culture, there's a hierarchy. In you, you, know, you can't break the hierarchy. <laughs> you're in the culture, you know? So right. in the end, I just... Yeah, I can see his older brother. I give up, you know, he's always the benefit of the doubt. In the end, like my brother's the type, even if you're not his brother, he's always looking for the fighter's best interest. You know, he doesn't care. Like, and Firas is the last person to care about money, man. Ask right. any fighter who's ever worked with him, man. He never chases a dollar. You know what I mean? So, you know, his priority is putting fighters in there, having them do their best, and then coming out to their friends and family you know, with the least amount of damage possible, you know, and that's why the fighters, they love for us, you know, that's what they respect about him. He just wants them to be able to do it for as long as they want, you know, he's not throwing them in there to, uh, to rack up their miles and destroy their right. bodies and destroy their lives. No, no, no. We're going in there as martial artists to win with the least amount of damage and with the best strategy, you know, to finish the fight. Like for us wants us to finish the fights, but sometimes the fights are hard to finish, man. Yeah. Like, like when I got ready for that Draco fight, the whole conversation was, we're not finishing this guy. This guy hasn't been put away. Right. You know, he got put away once out of fatigue in his first five-round fight. He got TKO'd, but he wasn't really stopped, stopped. Right. You know? So we're like, man, just put it in your head. This guy can be hit with a kitchen sink. You hit him with a baseball bat. He ain't going out. So be ready 15 minutes. But, okay, these are the opportunities to hurt him bad. And this is how we're going to hurt him. And this is what you got to look for. And then we practice those things. And then it, it came out. You know, it came out. That's what it is. Yeah. One of the things you and I have talked about throughout your career over the years is fighting for you is passion. It yeah. is self-expression. It is desired pursuit, but it's not necessarily for financial end. That's not to say you don't like winning bonuses. It's yeah, yeah, not to say yeah. you don't like getting those UFC paychecks, but it's not the thing that necessarily is wholly about putting food on the table for you. Yeah. How important has that been for you in allowing this to be something that doesn't become all consuming and threatening in a way, if that makes sense, where, you know, your family's good, you know, yeah. the bills are taken care of, 
but I can now pursue this passion that I have. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be taking fights every four months, six months, eight months. You've been able to take some time away to deal with injuries and life events and things of that nature as well. What has that been like in this pursuit of, of this goal? I mean, it's got its ups and downs. Like for me, I live within my means, you know, we grew up, you know, more poor, you know, my, my father immigrated here when he was, uh, you know, in the seventies, he came here. So like, we didn't grow up with everything, you know, we grew up good. We grew up. Okay. You know, my, my dad provided super well, like, uh, he did a great job. And, uh, so I've always been, you know, like, um, very cognizant of my finances and obviously my oldest, my older brothers, you know, they pass down their knowledge too. And my older brother is really good with money and, and for us too, and all these guys. So we, we learn to live within our means and, you know, to always have a nest egg on the side and be ready for emergencies. And, you know, I take my private seriously. I teach, you know, privates and I, I raise money and, you know, I, I work, uh, I have a small little business on the side too that I do. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to secure myself financially. And that's the only reason why I've been able to stick it out for so long, right? Because I'm responsible. Right. I try to have a live a responsible life. And, uh, you know, I got a wife and kids now, you know, so it's nice that when, you know, when Jericho missed weight and Sean Shelby, Sean Shelby offered me a new deal, you know, I, you know, I thank him a lot for that because it helped me obviously continue to be able to do what I want. And then obviously I got the bonus that night. So that really put me, uh, and you a got a little bit of his money. Yeah. I got a little bit of his money. It was a great night. You know, it really turned things around, made things a lot easier for me. So things have worked out, you know, obviously winning helps, but, uh, you know, sponsors are scarce. But, you know, I'm doing my best and uh, I'm hoping that, you know, for three wins in a row, like now it's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be great, you know. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. And, uh, you know, my wife's super supportive and she totally understands. I call her my biggest sponsor. You know, she's a hardworking lady. Uh, she works very hard. She's great. She's very sweet. And, uh, you know, we have each other's backs. I mean, listen, my wife is my biggest sponsor as well. hundred percent. I wouldn't be sitting here in the middle of the afternoon on a Friday if she wasn't on board and and signing off on this stuff. So I understand completely. Before we get into more fighting stuff, we get into some more kind of fun, just general stuff. Yeah. What is the one unknown talent of Eamon Zahabi that people would be surprised with? Sort of a passion is there. Are you a cook? Are you a great singer? Can you dance? Like, what do we, what do we got? What do we got? I don't know. Pretty good fighter, man. <laughs> That's all right. I'm pretty good at street fighter, I guess. I don't know. Many talents. I don't know. I love playing soccer. I'm pretty good at that. Okay. You know, um, my cooking skills are brutal. I can make one dish really good. Okay. What's the one dish? It's chicken larp. I don't okay. know if you've ever had it. Whenever I have an opportunity, I'll make it for you. You know how I learned how to cook it? I was in Thailand for five weeks with my friends. And I tasted it one time and I I ordered every day. And I just watched it make street food. Around the street. I was making it every day. I was just watching it every day. I was like, man, I have to learn how to make this every day. I have to. Then when I came back, I just took a chance. I started making it it better and better and better. And that's my dish, man. That's my dish. And you've been refining it over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. 20 years of... When people have that, they're shocked. They think it's made in a restaurant. I'll tell you. All right. Fair enough. What is the go-to spot for you in Montreal? What is the go-to food? What is the thing you have to have when we're not in camp or when this fight is done here in a few weeks out in Vancouver, you get home. Eamon's a hobby needs to go to fill in the blank. What is it? I was just telling my wife, we're trying to get a reservation for Joe Beef. Nice. That's the place to go, man. That's that the place spot. is amazing. 
that's the spot. Yeah. All right. What is it that makes Schwartz's so good? Schwartz? Yeah. I've only been there once, man. Oh my gosh. I've only been there once. Listen. You've been there. You live there and you've been there as many times as I have. It's all it's it's good. It's good. Oh, here we go. This might it's get good. it's good. I mean, it's good. I like you know, Duns is great too. <laughs> all right. You know, Duns is fantastic. All right, that's true. Duns is very good as well. Yeah. So we get back to fighting stuff. Yeah. You mentioned a little earlier. Ricardo Ramos fight. Yeah. Knocked out. Yeah. First loss. And you took a whole bunch of time. Yeah. And you said, wasn't myself in the Vince Morales fight. Yeah. A whole bunch of mental struggles. Yeah. Walk me, walk me through some of it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, uh, after the KO, I was super paranoid. You know, I didn't want to get hit too hard, whatever. Like, I didn't want to be one of those guys who's punched drunk and things like that. So, like, you know, I was doing the hyperbaric chamber. And I went to see, like, some specialists for concussion recovery. And they put me on this protocol, man. And that protocol is so unsteady, you know. They deal with football players all the time when they get concussions. And they told me it's going to be months long, man. It's months long. First, you know, we're going to start slow. We're going to build you back up slowly but surely. And then they got me up physically. And I thought I was okay mentally. You know, I started upping my sparring, uh, like, intensity over time. And then by the time I got in the cage for the Morales fight, I realized, you know what, I didn't go hard enough in the sparring yet. And I still had some doubts about taking a shot, you know, because, you know, you, sometimes you see guys, they get knocked out that one time and then that's it, they're just gone. And then after my Morales fight, you know, I was looking for the answer and I read that this book called The Tools and I learned these, these mantras about I love the pain, the pain will set me free, I love the fear, the fear will set me free. I was having a lot of talks with my friends and then uh, one of my friends, he pointed out that, you know, these guys like, you know, like Muhammad Ali and a couple other guys who've had, you know, like uh, fallen off uh, mentally from the concussions or whatever. They're the exceptions, not the rule. Like a lot of fighters retire pretty okay mentally. Right. You know, they, they retire. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're terrible with their finances. You know, they're not highly educated. They don't know. They don't know anything about running a business or or blah, blah, blah. Yeah, those things, okay, for sure. But that's nothing to do with CTE and, and being knocked out once in a while, you know, once every blue moon. He's like, and then we're talking about like boxers. Like boxers get knocked out in training a lot. You know, like if you're like a really high-ranked boxer and you came up from like, you know, when you're a kid, you know, I'm sure a lot of these champions are when they're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, they must have been knocked out a bunch of times, you know? So like, you know, a lot of them end up being okay. So, you know, so I was just trying to like, Figure out like, oh, yeah, what is the, what are the real stats? Like, we don't really know the stats, right? You know. Then I was thinking about like, yeah, you know, I know a lot of retired guys, they're fine, right? You know, most of them are fine. I would say the vast majority are pretty okay. You know, I don't know about how smart they are and how <laughs> financially educated, and how good they are running a business. You know, that's something else that's different, right? But in terms of like mental capacity and stuff, didn't really change. You know, so then I started trying to like overcome my fear right overcome my fear and, and I, I feel like i found that happy middle in the draco fight but even then it wasn't perfect perfect and then right before the ricky tercios fight jsp came and uh it sounds stupid because you know like i see jsp all the time right yeah you know? i see him all the time so it was just the i guess the climate or the moment and i was just open to hear that sentence at that time you know, I don't know what it was, the, what the dynamics were to pinpoint it, why it worked for me. 
Well, he told me, he's like, look, just be yourself. Don't try to do anything special. Don't be more than yourself. You won't, it won't work. And don't be less than yourself. It won't work. So just go in there and be you. Then I was like, man, he's right, man. You know, yeah. he's like, yeah, be myself. You know, it's Frost tells me that all the time. You know, Frost tells me that all Sometimes the time. Sometimes you got to hear it from somebody else, though. Yeah, or and at, but also at the, right, at the time. right time. You know, there's like, uh, you don't know all the, the, the variables that it takes for something to hit, you know? Like, how many times have I seen, uh, you know, arm bars, whatever? I don't hit arm bars all the time. You know, I don't hit them all the time. But somebody will catch an arm bar one day and I see something, some detail about it that this guy did that maybe I've seen and I just didn't notice. And all of a sudden I can do it. I can do my arm bars even better. You know, I'm just right. using an example, you know. Yep. But yeah. So, like, I don't know. that It just worked for me that night. And then also that week uh, in Vegas at the Red Rock preparing for that fight, I, just, I realized how much I love it. Man. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And even throughout this camp, like, this camp was tough. Like, it was really hard. Like, we really increased intensity. And I was just like, man, I love every second of it, man. Like, I'm, my body's tired. <laughs> Training is rough. But there's nothing else I would rather be doing, you know? So in the 18 months between Ricardo Ramos and Vince Morales, yeah. are there points in there where you're sitting down talking to your brother, talking to your wife, talking to your family, your friends, Yeah. and maybe we're not doing this anymore? Maybe Never. we're just, look, we're fine. I can coach. I can. We've got other businesses on the side. We're okay. No, not walking Never. away at all. It was Never. always I had coming to back. make it back, man. I had to make it back, man. You know, it was nerve-wracking, man. Like, it was, like, after the Vince Morales fight, nobody in the media wanted to give me a chance. You know, it was rough. There was one guy, one guy, uh, Daniel, I think his last name is Reeland. Uh, yeah, he wrote Gumby. one article, man. There was shouts, one guy. He shouts one to article. Gumby. And he picked me to win. And he, and when he, I read it. I'm like, listen, he picked me. Okay, whatever. Let's see what he says. I want to read it. And he wrote what I saw in the Draco, in Draco, you know, to win. Like, what my path to victory, what I saw, he saw it. So I was like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about, you know? So, I, and then when I, uh, when I knocked him out and then everybody came back, then it was just like, you know, it's just an old saying how like MMA journalists, they only care about your last fight. They don't care about anything else, man. You know, that's the only thing they remember. It's the only thing they remember. And then it just, that just made me realize that it really doesn't matter what people think. As long as I believe, as long as I stick it out, man, it doesn't matter how much mud they throw. It ain't going to stick. If I keep getting up, I keep washing it off. And I will say like, uh, let's say like for like me, um, Israel Desanya. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to paint my nails and I'm not going to dress the way he dresses or whatever. But when it comes to understanding the fight game, the mental game of fighting, he knows it. Man. He is, the way he talks about fighting, the way he takes his losses, the way he comes back, you know, like I could only wish to be like that, you know. And uh, another good example is Mandel Nalo. You know, he had lost by uh, uh, Rene Kachok recently. And the first thing he said was like, I just want to get back in there, man. And he took a fight like six weeks later. I, I don't know the exact date, but like seven, six to seven weeks right after. And he fought a guy and he beat him in the first round. And like now everyone's talking so highly of him again. Right. You know, now like, he's back. Now he's back to being great. Back in the back on the horse, you know, and like and then we're, I was talking with Mandela a lot about it and my brother Faraz too. And it's like, you know what, you guys just need more fights, man. Just don't worry about the results. Keep doing the hard work. You guys do hard work. He's like, have confidence in the work. And you will win some and you'll lose some, but you'll climb the, the ladder as long as you're always, uh, you know, upward trending. You're getting better. You know, we'll keep at it. You 
know. So then I, I feel like I don't have much mileage on my body, so I feel pretty good. Right. So, so that sucks. So you had the couple losses. Yeah. It's, it's it's a stretch between wins. It's a stretch between wins and appearances. Yeah. So how good, if you can even put it into words, yeah. did first round knockout of yeah. Draco Rodriguez feel? Uh, it was incredible, man. Like uh, one of the best feelings of my life. And Israel said it best after he beat Pereira this last time. I wish people could know. <laughs> I wish people could know because even my brother. The number of people that have said that to me that have that that quote has really resonated for, and especially fighters, right? Yeah, it's become the new thing. I remember a bunch of years ago, Cowboy said it's that drug, it's the drug, and every time you're out here, you're chasing that drug again. And now, now Izzy is the new one. Is the like I want everybody to feel this once, however, because it's insane. Yeah, and it's like for us. when I finished the fight, I won the fight, and we went backstage. I started crying, you know. I started bawling in there, and I put my head in a towel. He's like, "Why are you crying?" <laughs> He's like, "You just won." I'm like, "Trust." I went through two years of yeah. mental hell. Everybody doubted me. Nobody gave me a chance. I stayed a ghost. I just put in the work. You know what I mean? I just did everything I could to come back, climb this mountain, and you know, like people didn't tell to me directly, but I know. People maybe wanted me to retire and just be a coach, you know, but like it wasn't in the, it wasn't in the cards, man. It was not, in, not for me. It wasn't in the cards for me. And I was like, man, how am I going to climb this mountain? Cause it's happened to guys before. I know guys who had a lot of potential, you know, a lot of potential, you know, to lose one fight. They never make it back. Right. You know, one, sometimes it was close. Right. Like, Could have went either way. You didn't even get finished. Right. You know, right. and they're great guys. They're hardworking guys, but just that, like, it's, it's, it's not an easy mountain to climb, you know, and then, like, uh, coming back and then winning the bonus and getting the new contract before the fight, and all the money came in. It's like, it was, like, written by God. Man. Honestly, it was, like, written for me that night. You know, it was an uh, incredible experience, and, uh, man, I wish people knew that kind of feeling. <laughs> I feel like it's nuts. It's, it's something else. What were the pieces in there? that kept you at it, that kept you pursuing it. Obviously, you don't want to stop. You don't want to walk yeah. away, and especially not on two losses. Yeah. But what else is there that's going on? Who else is yeah. there that's saying, look, it's just, a, it's just a setback. We can get through this. We can get to that good feeling again. For me, I was just like, I'm better than that. And I, like, I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but I feel like, I lost those fights, you know, and uh, they're, they're good guys. I'm not saying they're bad guys. They're good guys, you know, like I like Ricardo and, and, and Vince, nice guys for sure. And I just feel like it was my, a lot of it was my mistakes. You know, they were my fault. Like the, the KO, my, I was too egotistical in there because like after round, I, round one, it was like, okay, it was, it was, I thought I was winning early in round one. Like I thought I was winning the first half, you know, even almost like a bit more, the large portion of round one. And then I, I gave it the, the end of the round. Fine. And then round two, I just shut it down. Like, no, I'm shutting everything down that works for you, and I'm going to score. And then round three, I was like, I'm walking you down. It's it's like you're, there's nothing left for you. You know, I've taken I've taken this over, and I just became egotistical. And I remember when I pushed him, and I, I I can tell he's going to bounce off the cage. I'm like, one more left hook, you're done. And I didn't see that elbow coming, man. And it was just I got the better of myself. He, like. Props to him. He threw the elbow. Like, I know sometimes, like, when I tell this story, like, I don't really mention it. People think I'm just being like, oh, it's a lucky shot. I'm not saying it's right. a lucky shot. I'm just saying 
I dropped the ball too, man. Like he right. did his half and I right. did my half. You yeah. know? And with the Vince fight, I thought for sure I won round one. And I was certain I won round two. I got the, I got the takedown, I landed a back fist, I landed a, some good stuff, but you know, they didn't give me they didn't give me this two out of three rounds. And then round three I coasted because I got knocked out in the in the third round of the previous round because I got too egotistical. Right. So I was like, you know what? I went the I overcorrected, you know. I don't right. know if like some people like they don't understand what that is. Like, um, you know, you don't want to repeat the same mistake instead of like doing the right thing, you overdo you go something. the other side, yeah. You yeah. go to the other side and you know, I shot myself in the foot and it, that fight hurt my ego more than the knockout. More than the knockout, yeah. Yeah, because at least when the knockout happened, I gave everything I had. Like I was I was trying yeah. to I was doing everything to finish the fight. Even and you got you caught. Like it's it's a shot that lands like and I don't mean got yeah. caught as you said. It's not that it's a lucky shot. Ricardo yeah. Ramos has now knocked yeah. out a few people with back elbows. Yeah, yeah, so yeah no, of course. It's the thing He's he does. But like you got caught, it's a thing that happens, as opposed to I'm in there and I let off the gas a little bit because yeah. I'm in my head and yeah. I don't want to, as you said, I overcorrect. And yeah. now here I am catching a second straight loss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like I've been doing martial arts my whole life. And the whole point, the whole point is not the fighting, man. The whole point is self-mastery. That's the point. That's martial arts is that, man. Like, you know, it's about mastering yourself, having control of your body, your mind and your soul. That's it. You know, that's what you're supposed to have control. How could I not get over my my fear? That's what it was. That's the, the, the coming back was, how do I, how can I not get over this, man? How am I so mentally weak that I can't come back? I must come back. Like, how, how am I going to open a gym? How? How am I going to open a gym if I can't break a losing streak, man? How? I must break. At least I got to break it, you know? I'm not, you know, I don't know how many fights I'm going to win in a row now. Like, I don't know what it is, but it is, it will be what it will be. We don't know the results, but I have to break the losing streak. How can I coach kids, man? How can I look kids in the eye and tell them about coming back from adversity? And I okay, can't come so, back from adversity, man. So I, I need, I need you to walk me through this because A, I think it is a fantastic point. Yeah. I think it is a very important point that a lot of people maybe don't necessarily think of, but it also for people and i mean i know this about you because we've known each other for well over a decade now yeah it reframes you from professional fighter to what i know you describe yeah. yourself as which is martial artist yeah so how does that come about for you of okay i i can't this can't be the end of me for all of those things you said how do yeah. i look somebody else in the eye how do i tell somebody no you've got to fight through this where right now i can't and it's just fear that's in my way. Yeah. And, you know, like I'll give you an example of like when I was coaching one of my fighters, one of our amateur guys from our team, okay? His name is, uh, oh my God, his last name is uh, Walet, okay? He is a really good, he was a really good fighter. He was coming up with me, okay? Johnny Walet. He's a, he was really good. Like me and him, we're kicking ass in amateur, okay? And we got a, he's got a fight out west, okay? I think it was in, uh, I think it was in Regina. I can't remember exactly where. And we go, me as the coach, he's fighting Johnny Wallet, Mandel Nalo, and Luis Armandakis. And I'm alone. I'm cornering all three guys. And and uh, the guys are fighting like pretty close to each other. So I'm warming them up, all three in the back and whatever, doing all this stuff. And Johnny's up first. And I'm cornering Johnny. <clears throat> you know, he uh, wins round one. Round two, super close. Okay. 
super close and the the mat was uh was wet on the ground and it was very slippery because it wasn't the material that we use now right it was like more like a tarp type material I'm talking about a few years ago here right, so right. Like, remember guys used to slip around the yeah, yeah and it's still regional mma and in, in it, rural in like yeah the prairies somewhere so it's not it necessarily happens. eight years ago you know that's right and he slips and tears his acl he finishes the round on his back so he was like pretty, like i was pretty certain he lost that round but i don't know but you know i'm pretty sure you know right so he comes back and i don't know the acl is torn though so he comes back in the corner and round after round two i sit him down he's like hey man my acl is torn i'm like i don't give a shit listen to me man you up round, you won round one you lost round two you go in there you take him down you hold him down for five minutes give me five minutes your acl is done if it's done it's done we're not leaving right. here with a loss we're leaving here with a win Listen, you're gonna have ACL surgery. Yeah, you're have ACL surgery. You wanna have it after a loss, you're gonna have it after a win. What are we doing? We're, we're leaving with a torn ACL no matter what. We're, we're, we it's, done. The, right. it's done, brother. He's like, okay. He's like, I'm gonna do it. I'm like, yeah, get back in there. And I was cornering him with somebody else from another team that he worked with a little bit. Okay, from another team. And when I told him to go back in there, he's like, he just told you his knees torn. I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Listen, we're gonna leave here with a win. Because he's gonna, when he looks back, and he asks me, hey, man, why didn't you let me go out there and take my chance? I'm going to tell him I did, man. I let you go back in there, and I let you fight it out. You know, why? Because everything else is fine. You know, you're better than this guy. We're going to go. We're going to beat him. He went out there, took the guy down, held him down for four minutes, man. Won the round. Won the fight. Had ACL surgery. Yeah, okay. But he won. You know? Right. That's He won. And then, you know, uh, then after that, you know, other things happened. Whatever. He ended up retiring from MMA. But he went on a, on a win, bro. He went out on a win. He didn't go out on the loss, you know. And I'm right. sure that's a great story to tell. Whenever he has kids, he can tell that story, you know. So who am I? Who am I to walk away after two losses? And I'm telling these guys this kind of advice, and I can't take my own advice. I can't. I can't muster up the courage to get back in there, you know. It's kind of a. I would have to retire from coaching, man. If I was done on like that, I'd have to retire, you know. At least now I've come back from adversity. Right. You know, so now when I tell these guys, they can't tell me anything. They can't. Right. I've done it. Man. I've lived right. it, man. When right. it's time for me to be a coach, I can do it with pride now, which is nice. You know, I've set up my retirement in a way, kind of thing. You know, I didn't go off in the wind like you know. You start coaching, ever yeah, guys, ah, you left on a three fight skid, you're done, blah blah blah. You never come back. If I get a skid now and I retire, listen, I've done it, man. I've I've been back. I've climbed the mountain again. You know, I've done it before. Obviously, coaching has been a part of this journey for you throughout. You mentioned in there, kind yeah. of pumping pumping Johnny Willett up and sending him back out there. Yeah, It is a subject that we talk about a lot. Myself, some friends of mine, Harry Powell, who has been out to TriStar yeah. in the past to train a little bit, of sort of that, that responsibility in the corner and those decisions in yeah. the corner like that, where Johnny Willett comes back and says, hey, my ACL is gone. Or somebody comes back and says, hey, my hand's broken, my arm's broken. Yeah. What is the process for you in determining whether we're sending that guy back out there or whether we're living to fight another day? Are there conversations between yourself and your brother of this is the protocol. company philosophy? This <laughs> yeah, is the protocol. Right. Yeah. Is it between yourself and that athlete and the relationship yeah. you have with them? How yeah. do you come to those decisions? I mean, for me, I just, I, it, it's because I know the guy, the relationship we have. And I, now, like, I used to corner just anybody young, when I was young. I was just corner anybody. Now I don't corner just anybody, man. Because I re I've realized that 
if you don't know them, know them, you don't train with them, and you don't watch over them, and you don't know what they can take and what they can do, and there's no point in having me in your corner, man. Like if, if I don't know what your game is and I can't tell you how to work through a problem, you know, in there, or I can't tell what you can handle in terms of injury or durability and things like that, it won't work because my advice is not valid in a way. And Johnny, I knew, like I was telling you, we came up together. Right. Like me and him, I know everything about this guy, you know? And I was making the but I, I, I felt like, the choice that I made, his health was going to be fine for what it was going to be. Right. And your your ACL can't my, get more torn. He's not going to get any more torn. And he was the better striker. Right? I thought he was going to be safe in there. You know, I knew I knew, I knew, knew what he's capable of. And to get that takedown, I believed in it. If I told him there's no choice, I know what he can do. I'm going to put him. If I knew, if he's a guy that couldn't get that takedown, and he's just a striker, and he can't shoot, I throw in the towel, man. You know? Right. But I know who he is. I know his game. I knew his, at that time. Now it's different. But at the time, I knew his game A to Z. Right. So you need that, you need that type of relationship. That's why it's funny sometimes. Like when you know, people bash the corner when the corners make a decision, but that corner knows that guy. He should. He should. I don't know about every situation. Right. But if that corner knows that guy in and out, what do you have to say, man? The fighter will tell you. Right? The fighter will talk after. The fighter will make the decision after the fact. You know. And Are there times that you see it? I know you watch fights still. You're not just, you know, yeah, yeah. worry about yourself in the knot. Are there times where you see it where, because I often think from my experience, limited as it is with yeah. fighters in the heat of the moment, yeah, it's going to be difficult for that athlete to come back to the corner and say, you got to get me out of here. Like I'm, I'm done. You guys yeah. are, are built up to yeah. not quit. The whole thing is yeah. don't quit on yourself. Yeah. You could go back out here. You could do it again. Are there times where you watch and you see from a look in an eye, from a way a guy's performing yeah. that this corner should step in, that somebody needs to save this person from themselves, from their own training, from that ideology really of we don't quit. We always fight on. You know, it's, it's hard for me to judge. You know? Yeah, no, for but sure. The only time like I, I, I feel that way is in amateurs. Uh, in the pros, I I don't I leave it to their coaches, man. But in the amateurs, like if you've seen me like in Montreal, I go to amateur shows, you know, for with the amateur fighters, you know, I go you know help out. Sometimes. Right. Sometimes I yell, "Stop the fight, man!" Like I want this ref, right? Because in the amateurs, you see it more when there's a blowout, and right. it's just like the guy's out of his depth, you know. Right. But when you're talking UFC, man, it's it, it's tough sometimes. To, to, to make that call if you if you don't know the guy the way his coaches know man and and, right. and that's why I try not to pass any judgment like I was saying because like, they know him better than me right you know and like I've cornered another guy with Fras okay and uh, main event fight round one my our guy's smoking this guy easy man round two same thing comes back sits in the corner he's like I'm done throwing the towel I'm like what you didn't even get hit man it's been 10 minutes like, you know, he's like, no, no, he's like, you don't understand, I'm done. He's like, I have no more cardio. Frost is like, you know what, just get in there and survive, man. He went in there, he got beat up for five minutes. He had no gas, okay? He survived, the bell rings. He walks over to our corner. He's like, he's like, uh, he's, he's thinking I won. I'm like, yeah, for sure you won the first two rounds, but that's when you got, you know, you got beat, you know? He didn't take too much damage, but he got, you know, taken down, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then they raise his hand. After they raise his hand, he just starts throwing up from nausea, from being so overly exhausted. But he was fine. 
And he's like, yeah, thanks for keeping me in. I'm happy I got the win, right. you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. But round three, he looked like garbage. And I'm sure people probably, you know, if that was on TV, they're probably like, you know what? Why didn't they stop it? The guy told you, stop the fight. Right. I got nothing left, blah, blah, blah. But the guy's a brick house. The guy can take a few shots. Let me tell you, that guy is durable, okay? I've seen that right. guy follow David Loiseau, and, you know, he's taken some heavy shots, man. And he's fine. And, you know, because he also smoked the guy, the other guy was exhausted. So even if the guy got the better of him, the guy didn't have the same mustard on his shots that he had in round one. Right. You know? So like, we, you're judging the situation in a way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and it's it's important for me, and I wanted to ask it, and I'm happy to get the answer, that, the answers that you've provided, because it is a thing that we on the outside talk yeah. about regularly, right? It seems like yeah. every couple of events, we have a moment where it's, this person is clearly hurt. Why are you sending them back out there? They're getting pounded. Why aren't you stopping the fight? Like, why isn't there that intervention? And you're right. It's easy for me to do it sitting here on my couch in Abbotsford when I don't know this, this man or woman yeah. versus the experience you have or their corner has yeah. with that individual and the understanding they have of they can get through this. They want to soldier on. So I'm not going to stand in the way of that. Yeah. And like, you know, it reminds me of, uh, of, uh, Leon Edwards, corner when they told him right. like, you know, before that kick, stop feeling bad for yourself. Right. Get in there, do it. You know, just go. They like, you know, I, there's a great book. Okay. It's a must read. Okay. If you want to be any type of leader or you want to have kids, you know, you have to read a book. It's called Cy psycho cybernetics. Okay. And sometimes you look at someone and you know they're not reaching their full potential in this moment, you know, and you know they're capable of so much more, you know, and it hurts inside. It hurts inside when you know someone is so good and they're just not being that good. It, it, there's something there's something about it as a coach, as a, as, a, as a parent, as, you know, like I experience it sometimes with my daughters. Like my daughters, man, sometimes they have these skills that they're, they're so good, but when the when it's time i tell them okay do it now in front of so-and-so that they, they don't perform you know <laughs> and obviously now there's, there's no there's no stress on them like i don't give them right. shit or anything but it's like i know what they're capable <laughs> right of, you know and then I, I feel like you know like my, my brother must have that feeling with me and everyone else he trains you know and and you see it in that moment with leon's coach you know i'm sorry i, I don't know his name like i don't remember his name off the top of my head but he knew leon was better than that you know and he just wanted Leon to be his best self. And he, he in that one moment, Leon was open to it. The four, first four rounds, he wasn't open to anything. Second, second, third, and fourth, he wasn't very open to much. No, He wasn't open to much, but we don't know those variables that came in in that moment. And he must have heard something that he said that, in that moment, like me and GSP. Like, I don't know why, you know, Frost talks to me all the time. You know, I talk, I talk all the time. I talk right. about the mental game like you wouldn't believe, man. It's the only thing I talk about, really. Right. And, uh, you know, it's like you're just not open for everything. Even though somebody's giving you the answer you're looking for, it doesn't register, man. It does not register because you're not ready for it. And, uh, you know, th those are the things that are beautiful, man. So, like, coaching is not an easy job. And I know it's hard to understand from the outside, but not too many people are leaders, man. And to be a leader of a gym, sending a soldier into a cage, to come out on the other side as a winner, it's not easy either. Like when I go to an event and I'm the coach, I am exhausted, man. I am dead after. My adrenaline dump is massive. Man. It is massive. Why? Because I care so much. I want this guy 
or a girl to just be their best. I want them, you know, for them. For I want them to be the best for them and not be, be hurt. So there's a lot of pressure on there, man. So coaches, sometimes they got to make a call, you know? Right. And you don't know what, there's a lot of factors in that call. There's a lot. A lot goes into that. Tougher, tougher to be the coach in the corner or the guy in the cage? Oh, man. <laughs> or just both, very, very different. They're both hell. They're both yeah. hell. It's high risk, high, high reward job, man. You know, it's tough. It's tough. You know, like, uh, it's funny because I remember one time, I don't remember who Gordon beat. Okay. Uh, I want to say it was, uh, I want to say it was, it was uh, Keenan Cornelius, but I'm not sure. I can't remember which guy he beat. Anyways, he beat one guy. And it was like a no time limit match or whatever. And it went on for a long time. Okay. It was like a really long, tough match. It may not be Keenan. I can't remember who it was. And um, the guy started getting tired. Obviously, it was like an hour in or like 45. It was like a ridiculous amount of time. Right. And John said, he said, his limbs are getting longer. Okay. Because when you're defending leg locks, okay, the shorter you can make your limb, the easier to escape because you're on the early escape. And John said a couple of times, very low. That's how he talks. Right. His limbs are getting longer, Gordon. Gordon, <laughs> his limbs are getting longer. And boom, he catches him in a freaking heel hook and taps the guy. And I remember after the aftermath, people were saying, you know, it's not fair having a coach with so much experience, who's seen so much, who knows so much, who's been through so much. Who's, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it does help, man. Having a great coach makes a difference. Look at the success guys had with Faraz, with Greg Jackson, with, uh, the you know, AKA, with all the, you know, the, these big gyms, you know, ATT, all these big, like, all these major gyms, they're major gyms because those coaches are good, man. You know, uh, Henry Hooft, amazing coach. You know, like, a lot of these guys, like, and there's a reason why they're so good and there is an advantage, man. There is an advantage. Like, listen, you can come up with a new coach, you know, who, who can be really good and he's building his experience with you and he could take you super far. I'm not saying there's never going to be a new new coach, you know, but it helps. <laughs> it helps. It certainly helps. Who is the next name to watch out for from the TriStar Gym in Montreal? I mean, from what level, man? There's a, there's a lot. We got every level. Well, let's, let's drop out some killers. Let's, some killers let's, start, let's start prepping some people for these names that they're going to have to track. Well, listen, like now that uh, Mandel's released by Bellator, and uh, I feel like in, a, in one, one more fight, maybe he might be in the UFC. Like, don't be surprised to see Mandel coming up soon in the UFC, which would, I think would be great for him. Like, his whole thing now is about getting consistency. And Bellator doesn't have as many shows as the UFC. Right. So I'm really hoping that, you know, he gets another... Big knockout. You know, he's known for KOs. He's known for fin all his wins are by finish. So I'm hoping he gets in. Uh, you know, we got Alex Morgan. He just got another knockout. He's uh, fighting tonight. Hopefully, he gets another knockout. Gets in the UFC. Xavier Louis. You know, we got Louis Sandodakis coming up. And uh, out of let's say if you go deeper into the roster, we have got a guy coming up. His name is Steve. I don't wanna, I don't want to say too much. I don't put too much pressure on him. But he's going to be really great, and he's going to probably hear this interview. And, uh, you know, Steve, it's time to leave boxing. He's, he's not sure about going pro in MMA. Okay. He's really like, he's still running, you know, he wants to do boxing fights. He wants to kick boxing fights and blah, blah, blah. You know, he's still in that phase, but like, I'm telling you, Steve, you're ready. You know, you're okay. ready. And Look yeah, we have a lot of good guys. You know, we have uh, Frédéric Duprat. He's like the champion at Samurai at 145. You got Ming Dufour. We got a lot of good guys coming up, you know. I gotcha. You yeah. have a fight coming up as well. Out here, yes. Vancouver, yes. British Columbia, June yeah. 10th against a Ricky Ling. What were your thoughts when, so what is the, what is the process for you? Cause obviously everybody's, everybody's process of hearing about, Hey, I've finally got a fight. Yeah. is different. 
Yeah. How's it work for you? Who do they reach out to? You or for us? Well, this time it was different because now after my fight, my last fight uh, with Ricky, I ended up signing with uh, Danny Rubin. Right, you're with Danny Rubin. Yeah. So I was a free agent and then boom, I ended up signing with after Ricky. And uh, he just texted me. He's like, oh, we got offered one name. He's like, this is the name. Let me know what you think. I said, okay. So I watched a few fights. I liked it. Sent it to Faraz. Faraz watched a few fights. Sent it to some of the boys. Okay. Yeah, we'll take it. That's it. I mean, like, it's super simple. We answered back same day, just like, uh, you know, a few hours later or whatever. Right. And then, uh, you know, I waited to hear back from them because I don't know. I don't know how it works if, like, when they give me a name, if they've already said yes or they're, like, just pitching the idea to right. both of us. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, right. that part. So then I just waited to hear back. And then uh, eventually we heard back. I think it was like, you know, like four days later. Because it was like, they gave it to me like just before an event. Like, I think I heard on the Thursday or Friday, maybe. So they told me, they're like, yeah, maybe you'll hear after the event. So, okay. So then like Monday or Tuesday, they told me, okay, yeah, it's on. I got you. you know, like so. the matchup. You said you sit and watch a few things. And Faraz watches a few things. The boys watch a few things. And they were like, yeah, okay, we'll take it. You know, Everybody- like when they offer one name, it's hard to say now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Sometimes they offer, like sometimes, not the offer, sometimes they tell me, oh, okay, look, we got these three opportunities. We got these three guys. These three guys or, or whatever. Like it's happened to me. Yeah, I've gotten three and it's happened to me where I've gotten one, you know? And uh, yeah, so this is the second time I've gotten one. And then uh, the first time I got one, like my daughters were going to be born like that next couple of days. Right. And, uh, you know, we had, no, I, I wanted to take it before I was like, yeah, no, it's not worth it. You're not going to sleep, whatever, blah, blah. He's like, two kids, it's crazy. He's like, one, okay, <laughs> twins, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> right. You know, so I was like, okay, so I didn't take that one. But like this time, you know, we watched it. We said, you know what? We're going to step up and do it. It's been another, not not long break, but it's been another break. It's been another stretch yeah. of months here between fights. Yeah. Just just a timing thing. Just a waiting yeah. on an opportunity I mean, thing. Not, just, not, as we serious. talked about earlier, nothing serious. Just nothing you were serious. able to yeah, yeah. pick your spots. Yeah, nothing serious. You know, it was just, just the way the cookie crumbled this time around. No big deal. Um, I'm excited though about winning it. I like... Winning three in a row, I'm sure it's going to be something nice to do. I'm hoping it is. We don't know if it's going to come. If it comes, fantastic. If it doesn't, at least I'm going to show out. You know, I'm going in there to show out. You know, I've been working hard this last year. Things have been going really well. I love, you know, being in training camp. I love doing what I do. And I'm really looking to show people how much I love it by doing a great performance. Are there benefits to you? Is there not necessarily extra excitement, but is fighting at home, is fighting in Canadian soil? Is it a positive for you? Is it a thing you look forward to? You haven't fought out here before. No, it... not in Vancouver, no. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's great because I would love to build a Canadian fan base, you know? I just feel like I don't get, uh, I don't have a huge Canadian fan base. I would like to, to grow it, you know? I love being, you know, a, a Canadian. I think it's the best country, you know? I love growing up here. It's it's, it's, not, it's like a great life. There's nothing better, you know? And, uh, you know, there's, even the snow, man, I don't mind the snow as much. For everything we get, I love it out here. I don't think I'll ever move. You know, I don't think I'll ever move. It's beautiful out here. And I'm just hoping to really resonate with the fans, you know, get a win or a loss. Doesn't matter. Hopefully they love me for who I am and then what, what the results are. Uh, you know, I hope to build a great fan base. But, you know, in the end, I'm just fighting the man. You know, like, I don't mean this as an insult to whatever, but like, I'm just fighting Eric Lang. Like the venue, where it is, right. doesn't, I have to fight this guy. Like, I remember when Ricky during my, our fight the last time, in between rounds, he told the fans, like, give me your energy. And it ended up being like a Dragon Ball reference. I, I didn't catch in the moment. But in the moment, I was just like, man, they're not fighting for you, bro. Right. You know, just focus on me because I'm focused on right. you, you know, type thing, you know. 
So what it, what is it like in there with Ricky Tercios? Because I would imagine like watching it on TV. Yeah. Every time I've watched him fight, I just think this is this has got to be a little bit weird, a little bit distracting, yeah, a little bit annoying, probably. Like, what I mean, was that it, experience like? It wasn't annoying. Great guy. I love Ricky. He's super yeah. Great guy. And uh, what it was, it just it just threw me off because like I was so rigid in my game plan, like to come in to have like certain things that I expected that he would do and whatever, and like. He ended up fighting me like a Bobby Green, like, you know, like slipping and moving and, you know, a lot of fake and stuff, but like less in the pocket, like less exchanges. But I mean, right. like, defensively, he was very slippery. And I didn't expect that at all because you look at his last couple of fights, nothing like that. Yeah, brawls. Yeah. Runs into the pocket and says, let's go. So that's why I got ready for <laughs> I got ready for hell. And uh, when it didn't happen and then he started jumping and spinning and screaming, I was like, ah, oh, man, I've been knocked out one spinning elbow. I ain't getting knocked out by another spinning elbow right Ain't no low probability, 2% chance <laughs> bullshit happening tonight, man. Right. You know, we're going to be classic. Make a miss, make him pay. See what works. Okay, you're slipping with your, your head. Okay, I'm going to kick you in the leg, man. I kick you in the leg all night, man. Give me your head. I kicked him in the leg to start giving me his head. Then I started with jabs and hooks and, and whatnot, you know. But, like, you know, like uh, I've gotten in my own way enough times type deal. Like, I'm not going to get in my own way again. You know, so I saw I was telling myself, if I don't make a mistake, he's not beating me with this stuff. Right. How good does it feel to be at that point? We talked about the two years of mental hell and the overall journey. How good does it feel to be 35, two fight winning streak? Yeah. Able to sit there and talk to yourself in in the midst of the fire. Yeah. That hey, I'm not gonna get in my own way. I know how good I am. I can just do these things and I'm gonna get my hand raised. Yeah, I'll tell you the truth, man. It's uh you know, I don't want to be overconfident going into this one. <laughs> That's my bigger struggle now. Because, like, now I feel like I've got momentum. You know, like, uh, people make fun of me when I say that because, you know, I fight once a year. But to me, it doesn't, like... Right. It doesn't like, change I'm, if you're on a two-fight winning streak. doesn't matter, man. I, even even when uh, I won the first fight against Draco, like, my comeback fight, I mean. Like, and it took me a year to get back in there because of whatever. Uh, I still feel like I had momentum. Why? Because I'm in the gym believing it. I'm in the gym, living the momentum. I'm working. Like, I'm working towards that goal, man. When the fight comes, it, it will come. I will be ready, you know? And, I, you know, in my opinion, like, if you look at my fights, like, I, I don't know, like, my opponents probably do. And uh, when they look at my last four or five fights now, I change every time, man. You know? You know, I have, I have some signature stuff, but the, the, the base of the game changes, man. You know? And it makes, I feel like it makes it hard for them to, to adapt you know and uh so that's what i'm looking for i'm looking to be i'd like to keep the question mark going which is nice so not to give away the state secrets in the game yeah. plan but but we see more changes on no, June 10th. you know that's what i love about for us you know for us you know it's it's funny because we call him we call him pipe may you know he's a master right but he's a student of the game and uh you know uh, I love I love this format by the way because we we can go in depth into some answers. Yeah, yeah. This is you know. This so is let the, me know. Let me know if is, I'm talking too long. No, no. This is the perfect. This is the purpose of this show. Okay. So I always want to. I'm always appreciative of any time I get with an athlete or a coach or whoever it may be. Yeah. But I always feel like when we're doing it fight week, when we're doing it in the midst yeah. of something else. Yeah. We're kind of confined, and yeah. there's usually two or three things that I want to go on tangents, and I want to yeah. get deep into stuff. And so we came up with this concept and it was just like, look, I just want to, yeah. I want to talk about everything. I yeah. want people to get to know the guests more because that's part of it for me too. Like 
yeah. the people on here that I don't actually know. Yeah. And I just sit down and we go, okay, here's the research I've done. Yeah. Let's, let's unpack. So how yeah. about it? So there's, there's no time limit on this. Yeah. So like for us, basically he's, he's our Pai Mei. Okay. He's a master, a true master of the game. He's, he's, he's a black belt in jitsu. He's got a karate black belt and the GSP honorary black belt, just like me. You know, he's a Muay Thai Canadian champ. He's MMA champ. He's Pancreasian champion. He's wrestling provincial champion. Two-way classes. He's, 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 he's amazing at all the elements of MMA. Okay? Master of everything. But he loves to learn the modern game. He is a student of the new game as well. Like, he's always adding to the game. He's always adding to the puzzle. We're not one of those gyms that's still doing the same moves that we did 15 years ago. Actually, we've thrown out so much stuff, man. Like, we've thrown out so much jujitsu. Like, if you like, I look back in my, at my youth, and I can't believe how long we did some of that stuff for, man. Some of that stuff, man. You know, it wasn't working, and we're like, man, we gotta make it work because our, our, you know, these these guys were telling us it works, and now it's not even, it's not even a question that we don't even show the, the the new guys now they get to black belts much faster than us, because they ain't going through a bunch of you know stuff that doesn't work. I don't want to say BS because you know those guys, right. but they knew those guys were teaching us what they thought was best, but now jiu-jitsu has really opened up to the world, and there is a new game in town, and you gotta learn that new game, and, and I'll give you a beautiful example, okay. I'll give you a beautiful example. Volkanovsky, man. Okay? When he was getting yeah. ready to fight Islam Makachev. You know what I mean? You know what he did? You know what he did? He brought in someone of the modern game. He brought in Craig Jones, man. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Genius. So I can tell you right now that my guy, Harry Powell, who I used yeah. to do a show with every week, yeah. when he hears this, is yeah. going to just have like a freak out moment because this is his, this is one of his points for this year. Yeah. Is that that fight changed the MMA game? Yeah, and, and Alex using Craig Jones and yeah. using modern BJJ, yeah, as a means to combat modern wrestling and Islam's approaches and all of those things, yeah, is going to end up being a generational shift. So yeah. you're you're steering but, into but what I, he loves, but it's not a generational shift because unfortunately, JSP did it first. Okay. <laughs> We GSP used to fly in anybody and everybody that was gonna make a difference, and right. that's something that TriStar believes in, and that other teams should believe in. Because you know what? Don't walk around with a full cup. You need to walk around with an empty cup. You know what I mean? Like you go somewhere, you better be a student. Like me, like look, I'm 35, okay. And um, when I go to the Montreal Wrestling Club, and the guys on the national team, I wrestle with them, and they're 25, okay. They're on the national team. They're 25. And when they give me advice, I say, yes, sir. And they tell me, hey, hey oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to say yes, sir. And he's like, you're 35. And he's like, you have wife and kids. Like, you know, that like, no, man. When I come here, I'm an empty cup. You know, you're, you're teaching me, man. You're teaching me. You know, so that's, you have to always be a student. You have to always be a student. That's something for us. And even JSP to this day, he's still a student, man. JSP is a master of the game, too. He's a master of everything. But does he learn from the new guys, man? Yeah, because the new guys are coming up with the new stuff. Right. You know, you got to teach right. them. You got to teach them what works. They're going to take what works and they're going to multiply it, man. And that's the truth. That's, that's that's what happened with me. Like when for us, when I was young, you know, obviously for us spending a lot of time with me, like we're working on stuff and I got better than some of the guys who before me. Right. I didn't have their experience. man. So I would help them with their stuff and they would teach me the tricks of the trade. Right. They would teach me the small right. modifications of the stuff that they know. 
and what we're working on and what really works in a fight, what doesn't work. There is always a back and forth. You know, the old generation has to help the new generation and then the new generation will eventually be the old man. And you got to stay young in your mind. You know, you can't get old in your mind. And that's the truth. And so like for me, when I watch the Volkanovski fight, it's so funny because a lot of the stuff they did, we do, right? We do, right? Because we, we're from John Danahar too. Right, yep. and Craig trained a lot with John and the Death Squad and all those guys. And Ethan Cranston is part of the B team. He's one of our guys, man. Like we, right. we get the ins and outs of what they do, you know. So it's funny because we were training all that stuff, and we're seeing it work on Islam Makachev, man. It works. Some of that stuff worked. What we do works on Islam Makachev. It could work on that guy. <laughs> and Volkanovski's a one forty five champion. He went up to one fifty five, and it's working on on Islam. Like that's 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 really testing what we do. You know, so, right. you know, in life, there's two types of experience. Man. There's direct and indirect. And that indirect experience through Volkanovsky gives me the confidence that what I do works because he did it on the best. Islam is the best, right? He made that fight close, real close, real too close. close. <laughs> Great fight. Great fight. Great fight. You know, love, love, love Islam, too. I think they're both fantastic, you know, and like it just goes to show that if you have the right key, to unlock a door, you ain't getting choked when somebody gets on your back. You know what I mean? You'll make yep. it out. You'll live again. You'll fight another round. You know, so that's the atmosphere we have. And like, you know, uh, I'm, we're lucky. I try to have the role models like Frost and JSP that, you know, even now in their 40s. They you say that not, like 40 years old. Come on now. No, not that they're old, but that, <laughs> like they don't look down on learning. Right. How many guys do you know that are in their 40s? Are open to learning something new. The only yeah. one, I, the only one I can worry about is the one sitting across from you, and I'm out here doing a YouTube show now after years of of not wanting to do this. So I'm yeah. still learning. Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that adaptation mindset as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's the growth mindset. That's what it is. So one of the things we've talked about throughout this this conversation, and I do appreciate your time doing it. We'll get wrapping up here shortly. Is is that you're still obviously pursuing the fighting career itself yeah. stepping in the cage yeah but you're still a coach it's obviously going to be the next step whenever that comes yeah do you map out a when do you think of a when how do you make that decision or is it just a feel thing or is it maybe when when the biggest sponsor goes okay we need you home a little more uh, yeah i don't know <laughs> it's tough because right now like uh maybe like I don't feel like I'm super close. Maybe three years. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I feel great, man, right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to usher you no, no, out no, the door. I know, I know. I 36, 30, 37 in November. But No, 36 know. in November. 36, 36 in November. My Listen, apologies. I still like to tell my wife I'm in my mid-30s for now. Okay, November yeah. comes, we're in our late 30s. Right now, I'm mid-30s, man. Listen, my wife looks at me and I, when I turned 40, she said you're halfway to 80. I turned 45 in October and I guarantee you, that morning, she will look at me and be like, "Man, you're halfway to 90. <laughs> well, you know, I feel still 25. feel young, still, still feel, feel good. Twenty-five, man. I feel good. <laughs> I feel like uh, things are great. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, see how this fight goes, but I feel fantastic. <laughs> I feel really, really good about For it. For sure, I feel really good. You know, and like that, that like I was telling you about that book, Psycho Cybernetics. I just want to feel the right amount of good and not too good, and blind myself and not not good enough." You know, so that's what I'm, you know, that's my thing for the next two weeks. And we'll know on June 10th where I came up on that, you know. Well, listen, I'm, I'm super excited that I get to be at one of your fights. First time I will see you compete. First time in a long time that I get to see you 
in person because I haven't been traveling and the world was shut down for a couple yeah, of years. And things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you jumping in here. I appreciate you giving of your time like this before I do let you go. Yeah. Before we get to how everybody can follow you. You mentioned earlier trying to make the Joe beef reservation. Yes. Let what's, them know, man. what's, what's, what's the menu. What's the order. What are we, oh my what's, God, you know, what's tempting you right now? What is, if you get the rezzo, yeah. and we'll try to make sure we'll try however yeah. we can. We'll talk to whoever I, I mean, I don't know a lot of people in Montreal. I might have got, to call Olivier Aubin-Mercier for this one. But we got one bone <laughs> on here. They're Montreal boys. We got some other people that you could reach yeah. out to. I got to call what a would, Montreal gangster. Yeah. What would be the order? Uh, we're obviously going to get the lobster pasta. It's incredible. I'm going to get the steak. I'm going to get the uh, the bone marrow. I'm going to get the seafood platter. We're going to go all out. We're going man. big. We're going, we're going team big. dinner. Whatever they have full. on dessert that night, we're getting a few of them. We're getting a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to go big. I love it. The food's great. Service is fantastic. So uh, we're going to try to get get a chance to go there. I'm sure they will uh, find a way to get you a table, get yeah. you in there. Hopefully it is off of victory. Hopefully it is off a third straight win. Eamon's a hobby. Before I let you go, let people know how to follow you, where they can follow you. Pay attention to everything you've got going on. The floor is yours. Guys, check me out on Instagram at Eamon Zahabi. That's where I do my most, uh, all my social media posts. Everything is mostly done there. I don't really go on Facebook much. So Instagram and hopefully, Spencer, you're going to cut some of these, uh, these, uh, these will be, these will be clipped and we can co-post or you these can, will be you know, clipped. There will be collaborations. Collaborations. Guys, you can find the clips uh, on my Instagram. All right. Thank For you. Eamon, I'm Spencer. This has been a conversation with. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much.